Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different life events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today we have with us a beautiful, powerful woman with a story that can really move everyone to race out of their own challenges and hardships for sure. She's a former cosmetic dentist and left that million dollar business to pursue her search for her true essence. She's now a renowned international speaker, a leadership coach, a master in emotional intelligence and grit, founder of the Global Grid Institute. She's an entrepreneur and author of three bestsellers, and more coming in the way. She's been featuring Google and Forbes, Entrepreneur, BuzzFeed, Mindvalley, The Huffington Post. Her life is an amazing journey navigating death and cancer, domestic violence, divorce, entrepreneurship. Her story is so inspirational. She's also a wife, a mother of a little sweetheart and ready to be the mother for the second time as we speak. She has traveled the world to over 45 countries advocating a very strong and needed message, serve love. So help me in welcoming Dr. Nita Bushan. Ah, Christina, <laughs> thank you so much. That was such a great intro. Appreciate that. <laughs> Good. There's a lot more, but that's what I can literally fit in this moment. So we have time to talk to you more. <laughs> Love it. So I've, I've uh, heard your story and it's truly amazing. And I know now with COVID and all the people what are going through, I think it's really uh, important to share some of your things. So do you mind telling us a little bit of um, your earlier going through challenges and, and big things in life? Sure, sure. Yes. I think I think with with every change maker that we know and for change to happen, we have to have breakdowns in order to have breakthroughs. And I think my life has been a series of breakdowns uh, in order to break through. So I was born and raised in Chicago to immigrant parents. My mom was from the Philippines. My father was from India and I was the oldest of, of three kids. And, you know, as immigrants, they came to the U.S. for a better life, to provide for their family. And uh, because of the cultural background, my parents both really valued education success, drive, pride, um, and, you know, hard work ethic. So that was instilled in us uh, at a very, very young age. And, uh, but we would have to grow up early. And I, being the oldest and being the only female, um, a lot of pressure was put on me to, uh, you know, basically be the, the leader of the household. Um, more so because at 10 years old, I became a caretaker to my mom. My mom fell sick with uh, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So for the period of my youth, so at 10 years old uh, until about 19, um, you know, the most formative years of your life, mine were spent in and out of hospital rooms. And for six years, my mom battled cancer. Um, and then the tragedies would, would happen. And so in a period of five years, I would lose my mom to cancer. A year later, I would lose my brother, uh, mm -hmm. who was 16 months younger than me to, um, an asthma attack. Uh, and 
Two years after that, um, I would then lose my father to lung cancer. And so lots of heavy, heavy trauma, probably <laughs> uh, things that people have will never see in their lifetime or ever go through that much grief and death and loss um, in such a short time. So I was orphaned at 19. Um, I had to be a caretaker of my youngest brother who was 14 at the time. Um, and I had to grow up. And that was literally the series before I was 20, um, you know, literally kind of surviving just to keep my head above water to breathe. Um, and so that really kind of shaped my grit, mm -hmm. uh, that shaped my resiliency, um, because all I knew was hustle life. It's all I knew. I had to work three jobs at times to take care of my family. Um, when my mother and my brother uh, passed, it caused tremendous financial stress on my father, who was reeling after losing his wife and watching her succumb to this disease for so many years and then losing a child. Um, and so with that deep, deep amount of grief, I had to just go into, okay, this is, this is, this is martyr mode. This is savior mode. I'm going to save everyone. And getting into my 20s, um, that's why I chose the profession that I chose. I wanted to help uh, people. That was one of my first jobs when I was 15 years old working on Saturdays as a dental assistant. Um, so I went into dental school and I, I had this chip on my shoulder that um, I wanted to make my, you know, dead parents proud because that's all I was instilled with. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's in the hospital, you're going to get A's on your test. There's no room for grief. There's no room to process emotions. So that became my coping mechanism. And I would push a lot of feelings and emotions away. I would bury them and I would just bury myself in work. And it's obviously contributed to a lot of the work we do now uh, at our institute um, because it's so important to unpack that. Now, my biggest awakening would not come until my late 20s. Uh, I succeeded in every way uh, possible because financially that was never an issue for me because I had to hustle when I was younger. So that sort of sense was, was second nature to me. Um, what did struggle was my personal relationships. What did struggle was my relationship to myself because I didn't have it. I was trying to please everyone constantly. Um, and so I would meet someone who would teach me about uh, self-love in not the best ways. Uh, so I was in a, a, a very toxic relationship turned marriage. And uh, I had to really recognize my own awakening. And that was really the impetus for the biggest change, uh, probably of my life. Um, and so I left that uh, violent relationship. And in that period, I recognized that I had never focused on my own healing. I had never focused on uh, releasing a lot of the trauma and working through that. Um, and so I went on this self-discovery journey back to myself. 
which took me across 45 different countries, which took me through the depths of from psychedelics, plant medicine, different modalities of somatics, emotional healing, um, and really kind of facing my truth of, is this where I want to be? Do I just want to transform people's smiles from the outside? <laughs> or is there more <laughs> to transform from their inside? Uh, and so, and, and that really took me then to say, um, and leave my very successful practice as a cosmetic dentist to then embark on the next journey, which was really putting all of the elements that I learned in my own process, but also as a research mind, because that's really what I was uh, growing up and, and, in, and in college, that's really what I majored in in psychology to really understand human behavior. And I had the first glimpse of what happens when trauma hits, um, but also the coping mechanisms and the things that we do as humans to avoid pain. I could have done it in various ways, addictions and things like that, but I was actually addicted to work uh, because it felt good. It felt safe. It was so unsafe to go back to those awful, terrible um, emotions, but it wasn't until that breakdown of my marriage that really opened my eyes to this next chapter. And of course, it's the reason why I'm able to sit with you, Christina. So I'm curious, like you talk about grief, but you don't talk about anger. Did you ever go into anger and, and victimhood uh, when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, we, I, I talk about there's three different mindsets and, um, you know, the first one is obviously victimhood. I think that I didn't necessarily know what that meant um, during my mom's passing and how she was going through a lot of the things. It was just common nature, right? After school, you would go to the hospital. Some kids would go to yeah. sports and, and dances and, and, you know, play with friends. And we just knew we were going to the hospital and that's all we knew. Uh, it didn't occur to me until I think my brother passed. And then of course the news of my, my father a few years later, that really set me up in terms of why me? Why this? Why our family? Um, and absolutely, there was there was a lot of anger in a in a teenage body, trying to just you know date and and want to do teenage things that I I couldn't um, because I also had a very strict upbringing from my my father. So there was definitely this push and pull. Uh, I would have to say absolutely a thousand percent. And I think that, you know, as a, as when you're operating in the role of victim where life is happening to you, um, that, that it's a constant battle and it's almost like you do have this chip on your shoulder and for me, and perhaps maybe it worked to my advantage, but I didn't want anybody to feel bad for our family. I didn't want anybody to feel, oh, look at what they've been through and they should get a pass 
you know, she should, she should get a pass. She shouldn't even, um, she shouldn't need to, to, to do anything because look at what she's been through. And so, and that breeds entitlement, you know, that breeds not taking personal responsibility. And, uh, and of course it infuses the work that, that we do now. Um, but when you get into from victimhood to survivor mode, so then that's the next stage of mindset is survivor, right? Somebody who's been through any sort of physical, uh, sexual, um, or even betrayal, I've been through something or, you know, Holocaust survivors, I've been through this traumatic experience. Um, you know, they've lived through something so deep. Um, but then the, the beauty of that is when can you take personal responsibility and get into the thriving mindset. And that's really how, and that's the change maker's mindset as well, because you look at things from a lens of this has happened for me. And um, what am I going to do with these gifts? And so my recognizing all of that happened after my breakdown in my, in my marriage, because I was forced to look at this mirror and literally look back at myself for the first time, acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the fear, acknowledging the, you know, the, the, the trauma, but also being able to say, okay, what, what now, what, what next, and what's your next chapter going to look like? That is remarkable because so many people with what you've been through with like a quarter of what you've been through would have gone the other way, like completely the wrong way. And you choose like a success way. Like it's, it's, it's mind blowing that you went that way, even though, you know, success as defined, you know, by, well, you earn money, you have a good job, but then inside is a different story. But if someone goes the other way, what will be something that could help them come back to a healthier way of healing? Yes, there's several different kinds of addictions. And I, I know that uh, I'm, I'm privileged and fortunate to have had a lot of people around me growing up, aunts, uncles, family, friends, advisors, teachers uh, who knew that perhaps maybe recognized my potential and really groomed me, even when I didn't know what mentors or, you know, really amazing teachers were, they, they kind of had their, their lens and their eye to make sure I was um, exposed to the right things. And so I think that the biggest thing, if you are going through something, um, or if you know somebody that's really going through something and they're, they're using different ways to cope with sadness, depression, overwhelm, anxiety, because with the year that we've had, a lot of people are, are getting into despair. Um, you know, we had the, we, we run Global Grid Institute and we had the largest year last year in terms of how to stress manage and, um, and we're not given these tools in, in school. We're not taught yeah. how to look in an, at emotion and really manage our emotional states in a way where it is healthy, where those emotions don't define us. Um, but how do you pick out those emotions to really peel back the layers? And, and the first, first thing that, that I would say is 
you want to surround yourself with people who are positive, who are uplifting, whether it's, and if it's not people, maybe it's, you know, Instagram accounts. Um, I remember going through like my darkest days and I would find all of these positive quotes, you know, everywhere and anywhere, whether it was like the Bible, religious texts, dogma, not dogma philosophy, but I would literally keep it like just in my mind because you have to train your subconscious. And that was an active role that I, I seeked out. Um, and, and that's, that's, if, if you don't have community that supports you, that's one way of finding it right now. We have so many amazing podcasts like yours that are pouring in different stories, um, you know, different perspectives from people. And it's also great if you don't have community to dive into things like this, that really, you know, spread hope and positivity, because when you are at that low level, um, sometimes it's hard to get out of it. And I, I, I can't even tell you, um, how many times I fell into this, like, just, you know, I call it the pity party of one (laughs) because you're swimming in your own soup of despair. And sometimes it's okay to experience those emotions. Absolutely. You want to, you want to really be able to experience them. Um, but you also want to give yourself time to work through it and work forward so that you can be a contributing member of society. So I would say the first thing is community. Second, if you don't have community, we have so many tools now to get into that positive state, meaning that get things that really kind of start training your mind, right? There is the saying, fake it till you make it. I don't necessarily like that. However, I've it's- changed it a little. Fake, fake it until you are that. Not until, not until you until you believe it, but until you are that, you know? Until you embody it. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So, and then the third is, is, you know, with, with this day and age of, of, of podcasts and people that we can listen to and learn from and mentorship and, and coaching, getting the support that you need is a thousand percent so beneficial. Um, when I started to dive into different modalities, healers, mentors, coaches. Um, it's one of the reasons why my healthcare practice started to, uh, you know, rocket, I mean, exponentially, uh, grow exponentially, which allowed me to take in other uh, things. So to be able to grow yourself so that you learn not only about yourself, but that's the greatest gift that you can give. When people are going through uh, this victim spiral hood, they forget that there is growth on the other side. They forget that these breakdowns are actually breakthroughs, that you're on the verge of something so that that pain can be, it can be temporary, that that pain is just kind of the threshold. It's the tunnel to the other side where you are meant to flourish. Uh, So I would, I would definitely say the personal accountability comes from starting to just spend more time in getting to know you. Uh, and getting to know your patterns, getting to know your beliefs, because once we start to train our minds, we can then start to influence the way we carry our emotions, which also then affect how we are showing up in the world. 
what do you think has been the most effective thing when people are really down? Because I think the hardest thing is once you're really down, you don't want to see anything. You don't want to do anything. Uh, and, and sometimes it's just a phrase or something that catches you and then you start swimming up. It's beautiful that you explain that it's a process, that it's not just one thing and that we're all different and you can get, you know, you can get things from many different sources and you have to find what works for you. But you work with a lot of people. So what do you think um, it's best? Yeah, so I would I would say there's the it's and I, I, I think I just shared this recently with uh, with one of our groups. It's um, it's a framework that I've been working with for a while. And just recently, I, I wanted to name it something because it, it's so powerful in that wherever you are on this path and this journey of your own healing, of your own um, stuckness, of your own uh, negative spiral thoughts, what tends to happen is, and this is called the Phoenix framework, but the first part of that is um, stage one is the fall. So something happened, you lost your job, you found out your partner's cheating on you, uh, you found out that a business partner is taking advantage of you, embezzling or betraying you, um, you found that you just got diagnosed with a, a, a terrible illness, even though you've been taking care of yourself, you're not a smoker, you're super healthy and you're like, why me? That is also in that, that victim stage, that the pain is so bad and you are not expecting it. It's kind of this un um this uh this unforeseen unmet expectation that has blown up in your face um and life is going to keep tossing us these obstacles because that's the beauty of the human experience mm -hmm. but then we get into so that's stage one stage two is the ignition that's where we make that decision are we going to stay in this low state of despair, hopelessness, grief, um, blaming, not taking accountability, or are we going to then have the ignition? Because sometimes the pain is so bad that you make that change. Sometimes when they say, ah, oh, you have three months to live, um, or you have stage two cancer, we see a lot of people going and doing juice cleanses. They change their diet around. They become vegetarian or vegan. They do something completely drastic. They stop smoking. Um, and that's just from a health perspective, right? Mm -hmm. You lose your job. You're like, how am I going to put food on the table? Okay, I'm going to apply to all of these different jobs that are hourly. I'm going to go into retail. I'm going to go and do freelancing. I'm going to, that's that's the impetus. That's the ignition. It's igniting you to, to move, to make a change in your life, um, to be that change maker. And, and in that, and, and some people will choose to stay in the fall, the fall stage, but most will say, okay, I, I can't survive. I'm not going to be on the street. I have to do something. And something is better than nothing. But the thing is, is we don't celebrate those small steps when we're igniting. Because we want the change to be like rapid right away. But sometimes it's just that small step that I'm just going to, I'm going to apply at the coffee shop. I'm going to um, live with my parents or my family for just six months and see what happens. Uh, I'm going to take that leap and actually do that yoga training that I've been always wanting to do. Um, and then you get into the third stage, which is the rising. 
And the rising is really when you start to cultivate confidence because you've been doing something, you've been learning something new, you're focused in on growth. You're getting, you're, you're not fully, fully confident, but you're seeing that, oh, okay, this is, this is different. This is not great, but, but I'm growing through this and I'm, I'm getting through this. I'm making progress. It's kind of like, um, you know, your partner cheated on you and now you're maybe starting to date and you're like, Hmm, I realized that, maybe this person wasn't treating me well, or I deserve better, or I'm seeing myself in these amazing people that I'm meeting, right? So, so, so then you're rising really out of that pain. You're starting to recognize your own gifts. And then we get into stage four, which is magnify. And magnify is really when you are now taking personal responsibility. You're seeing that, okay, this was a blessing in disguise. This was great that I had lost my job because now I'm actually doing what I've been wanting to do for a really long time. Even though I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm actually doing something that that I really enjoy, that I'm excited about. And that pain of getting fired or that pain of loss, my, losing my job or losing my partner, I'm, I'm having this, my own independence. And now I'm thinking, okay, what, what more can I do? And then the last stage, stage five is the thriving stage. And this is where, you know, not everyone gets here because most people kind of are, are in the rising and the magnify stage. But when you get into thriving, you want to pay it forward for other people. You want to utilize what you've yeah. been through to help others. So whether it's a cancer diagnosis and you changed your life, um, you, you, you lost 30 pounds because you were given a, a diagnosis of diabetes or heart, you know, high blood pressure. Now you want to actually do this for other people. Now you want to take what you've been through and be that change for somebody else. You are paving the path for someone else. You've been through a traumatic relationship. Now you want to teach young girls and boys how to be better and more confident within themselves to then change the way other people are, are getting into relationships. So it then becomes not just me, it becomes we as a collective. How can I transform other people based on what I've actually been through? So you take your stories then, it's not just, oh, I've been through this. And it's not just, oh, I've survived through this. It's now how can what I've been through, how can that help 10 people? How can it help a hundred people? How can it create ripple effects in others? And that's thriving. Nice. That's a beautiful framework. And actually you need, you need to have patience and trust through that. That's the one thing that I hear that if you don't have patience with yourself, you're going to think that you're not progressing and, and it takes time. So patience is a big thing, but it's beautiful because then people can identify, okay, I'm here. And probably the tools are a little bit different if you're in one place and you're in the other one. So that's beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Compassion is the biggest gift you can give yourself yeah. because we always want to be at the finish line. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm eight months pregnant and I was at a, I was, at, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was at a coffee shop the other day and I see there's a, somebody else was behind me and she was also pregnant and she had asked, she said, 
wow, she's, you, you look like you're about to give birth any day now. And I said, yeah, yeah. And she says, oh, I'm just having the roughest time. And she was probably like, you know, 18 weeks or, you know, three or four months pregnant. She's like, I just wish I was there. I just wish I was where you are at right now. See, we want to, we, we don't want to go through exactly, the discomfort. Yeah. We want to yeah. jump and skip. Well, yeah. when you're growing a baby, uh, can't really do that. No, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's human nature. It's human yeah. nature. And, um, while sometimes that tunnel is so long, we have to have grace and we have to have compassion for the season of life that we are in because it all contributes to your greatness. Yeah. And how can someone, or do you think someone that does not go through trauma, build their resilience and grit? Yeah. So a lot of times, and this is a great question because the Phoenix framework really is all about um, recognizing things that you go through in your day to day when things don't necessarily go your way. When you try something for the first time and you get rejected, when you try and you ask for a raise and they give it to somebody else because they thought the other person is more deserving. These are all setbacks that we have. These are all challenges. These are all failures that can take us into a, you know, a tailspin. And so to build your grit and resilience every day, you want to be able to put yourself in stressful situations. And I know it probably sounds counterintuitive, like why would you want to put yourself through that? But if you think about it, and I can take the, the smallest example of this, um, if you are you know, training for a marathon, and if you are working with a coach, and uh and, 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 and the coaches is, is saying, okay, by week five, you're going to run, you know, five miles, which is, I think what, like eight kilometers. I think that's what it is. And, and you're only used to running maybe 20 minutes, but they're saying, nope, in, in, by week five, in five weeks, you're going to run these, you know, eight kilometers or five miles, which is like, you're going to run for basically an hour or, or 75 minutes. And you're thinking in your head, that's never going to happen. No way, no how, but your coach is saying, you're going to do this because every day for the next five days, you're going to run a little bit longer than you did before. You're going to add 10 minutes to running longer, and you're going to do this in the heat of the day so that you're training yourself. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my breath. I'm going to lose. There's no way I've never done that before, but you're pushing yourself. And that's the thing you are you are strengthening those muscles yeah. that you've never worked before. So imagine if you're saying, okay, I want to, I want to build resiliency in this, in, in being able to be a better speaker or to be able to share my knowledge um, online and not get scared when I hit record or not get scared when I hit live um, on Facebook or Instagram and not judge myself for it. Well, you have to practice and you have to put yourself in those positions and you have to be okay with going live and not knowing what you're going to say and being okay with that discomfort. Uh, the more and more we train our brain cells, we train our neurons, we train our subconscious to be okay with discomfort, 
that's when we become comfortable. And that's when we have new neural pathways that are getting built and new ways of being able to experience things and see things because you are constantly challenging yourself. You're putting yourself in stressful situations. Um, and, you know, for anybody who's ever done public speaking, it's that, you know, it's, it's that core and that fear and, and, and public speaking is, you know, one of the worst fears that people have in the world. Yeah. But when you're constantly doing that, you're, you, that nervousness is going to go down and that nervousness is going to go down because you're, you're, you're already doing it so much. Um, that's the type of positive stress that you, sh you could be doing on a daily basis to build your resiliency. And, uh, you know, I, I actually read a, a research that was saying they, they got two group of fat scientists and some of them had failures at the beginning and some of them, no, they had it like more later. The ones that had failures at the beginning, they actually did better research and more profound because they already met failures. So they were kind of training that muscle. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we can use that metaphor of health, because that's so easy. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I, there's no way I'm going to run on that treadmill for an hour. There's no way. If we can use that same mentality for, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to tell my idea to 10 people and I'm going to tell my offering to, 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 to 15 people. And most of them will reject it. Most of them will say, oh my gosh, that's so lousy. Why would you even think about that? Oh, it, you know, you, 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 you're not cut out for that, but that's great. You're embracing the, no, you're yeah. embracing the rejection because that comes to our emotional core of, oh, I want to be liked. And that's that psychological core in our heart that I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to belong. I want to feel worthy. But if you can train yourself where a lot of the, the negative comments don't necessarily matter or that you are developing that thick skin because you're hearing it every day and you're coming at it from a perspective of, wow, they don't like me. Instead of thinking that you're saying, what can I learn from what they just said? What can I learn? How can I improve my pitch? How can I improve my product? How can I improve the way that I'm speaking or the way that I'm conveying my message so that it's more persuasive or it's more juicy or it's more fun, right? If we can kind of build on some of that, that are those tiny, tiny little steps are progress forward. Changing your focus and changing your questions. Yeah, that's great. And, and now that you're a mom, so how do you teach your child to be more resilient? Because you want to always protect the children, you know, but it's important if they can learn it soon and, and develop that. Oh gosh, I love that question because he has been our biggest teacher. If there's anything that I had no idea about, it was <laughs> kids resiliency and kids emotional management, because most mm -hmm. of the research I had done was only for adults. So this has been, he has been <laughs> the biggest teacher human experiment ever because it tests your grit. It tests your patience in so many ways, especially when you are sleep deprived and you just want them to eat and, you know, you, you just want them to, you know, be healthy. 
but what we've learned, and this is just, it, it's just remarkable how resilient they are because, you know, they're, they need to learn how to walk. And in order to learn how to walk, they need to stand up and fall and fall many times. Um, when they're learning how to tie their shoes, they're going to put their shoes in the wrong way. Uh, if you do it for them, then they're going to be eight years old, still asking you to put their shoes on. <laughs> exactly. They're not going to build resilience because yeah. they're going to say, okay, mama, uh, put my shoes on and they're eight years old. Um, and so, so being able to let go and say, you know what? Okay, what is going to happen if you eat that piece of chicken that's not cooked? Let's just say, you yeah. know, it comes out of the freezer and then they want it, they want it or 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 give them something that uh uh you know, they 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 just want a, a piece of, you know, muffin. You know that it's not the best for them. Um and of course, you're going to step in when you need to. But are you and how are you encouraging their fall um, so that they can rise and get up and understand that that okay this is this does not taste good i was making a milkshake for my son and we put a little bit of protein uh powder in it and he said mama no don't don't shake it don't shake it i don't like it like that and i said okay but there's powder in here and you're gonna it's gonna just get in your mouth and so i said okay what's the worst that can happen? It's going to get in his mouth. He's not going to like the taste. They have to experience that. We can fight and say, no, 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 I'm going to mix it. And then he's going to, of course, have a meltdown. Or I said in this case, and this literally just happened this morning, but these are, these are small little things that teach resilience. And he's, he, so I, I didn't mix it. There was a clump of protein <laughs> in his, you know, milkshake, his, his, his milkshake. And he starts drinking. He said, mama, it's not coming in my mouth. I said, okay, well, what do you have to do? And then, so he starts shaking it. So, you know, it was was a learning lesson of, okay, fine. You don't believe me. We've got to experience this together. And it ended up being okay. Um, So how can we set boundaries and parameters where Yes, we might know better. We might know that, you know, cold chicken does not taste good. Um, <laughs> but maybe, you know, they have to experience that in, in, in their way. Of course, I'm not saying have your kid run in the middle of the road when there's yeah. cars outside. Obviously not. Um, but we, we, we try to control, you know, all of the instances because we want to keep them safe. And what if we let them fall? What if we let them put their shoes on backwards and they say, okay, mama, well, I, I can't, I, I can't walk like this. Well, why can't you walk like this? Well, because you put your shoes on backwards, you know, so that yeah. there are learning lessons in between and they can actually make those choices. It's hard. <laughs> it's a battle that we all go through every day. And some days, you know, you're 20 minutes late because they were putting on their shoes for 10 minutes. <laughs> but in the long term, you know, you're teaching them that independence. And I think um, the more that we can instill, um, you know, independence and resiliency that, you know what, it's okay if you failed putting your shoes on. It's okay if, 
you wanted to put peanut butter on your toast and it's all over your hands because you're, you're going to learn how to do it and it's going to get better and easier and easier as you go along. Yeah. Yes. That's beautiful because also you, you teach them confidence because they see that they can figure out things. They have permission to think their own way. They have permission to fall their own way. And it's a control, like control is stress. Let's put it that way. So it's safe, but it, it teaches them also self-awareness and, and, uh, and even leadership. Because they're, they're leading their own thing. They're deciding, you know, within a parameter, like you're saying. And then for the parents learning to let go <laughs> and give space. <laughs> Very true. It's the hardest thing when you're sending him to, you know, school and he's got stains on his shirt. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. He's going to live. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be respectful of your time um, that I know you have an hour meeting, but let me just ask another question because I was brought up also with different religions in my home. And I wonder how was that for you to have uh, such different cultures mixing your, in your own home? And how are you, if you're transferring that to your home now, to your family? Yes. So, uh, you know, one, one good thing about, um, you know, growing up in a multi-religious household, my father was Hindu. And not only that, he grew up in a very um, uh, Sikh environment where they would go to, you know, the Hindu temple and the Sikh temple. And so we grew up going to the Hindu temple, the Sikh temple, and my mom was hardcore uh, Catholic. Yeah. And we were also baptized in the Catholic church. So um my father always instilled, you know, to learn, you know, every modality and different modalities of faith. And he was very open-minded um, in that uh, he, he, that was just kind of his upbringing and, and where he was brought up in, 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 in Delhi, in India, where um, they had all different faiths and cultures you know, kind of in a melting pot. Um, and the beauty of that is it brought a, about, you know, the respect for spirituality more so. And so, and, and not necessarily the, the dogma has always been, you know, people are kind of, it, every religion has kind of similar dogmas in some senses um, that we all just want to be good people and, and good humans. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where, um, you know, now between my husband and I, we want to be able to instill not just, um, you know, not much of the dogmatic side of religion per se, but more so the spirituality um, that really unites us all. And which is why our motto is to serve love, because if we are serving love, we are also living within our truth and um, we allow and give others permission to live theirs. And so uh, that's kind of the philosophy that we're carrying into, um, you know, within our, within our own household and in our own family. Beautiful. You just press it very beautiful with words. And thank you so much, Nita, for your time and for sharing. And I wish we had more time because I know we could go deep in all these matters a lot more. But time is flying and, and, uh, and you have your next meeting. But thank you so much for spending this time with us. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.